I um, hesitate a little bit about bringing a message on the 70 weeks of Daniel's prophecy. There's a reason, because it's very difficult to explain. And then I don't know if you're going to be able to follow me, because it's not as entertaining. It's just the book. But I think it's important because you should know that the Bible can be trusted, that it really is true. If what I'm going to speak on this morning is true, then everything else will make sense about the Great Commission, about your quality of life, about what you do and don't do, what you really believe. I believe there's a lot of people who may have trusted Christ as their Savior, but they really don't have this deep burning desire to serve the Lord. And that greatly concerns me because we're running out of time. The Lord's coming back soon. I'm hoping that as I explain a few things, now I'm not going to whoop anybody. I'm just, it's just a pointer. I want to explain these things to you because understanding the 70 weeks of Daniel, I believe is the key, the master key. The understanding the rest of prophecy. Now, I want you to take your Bible and look there in the book of Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. In Leviticus 25, you'll notice there in verse 1 down to verse 4. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying... Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. Now you think from reading that, What's that got to do with anything? Well, just about everything. And I want to show that to you. Now, he says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, and this is what he said. Now remember, this is before they got into the land. This is what God told Moses to tell the people, When you get into the land that I'm going to give you, when you come into the land, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Say, what does that mean? Well, you work the land for six years. On the seventh year, you don't plant anything. You let it rest. He says the same thing for the vineyards and all. You prune it for six years. But the seventh year, you let it rest. So this is what he told them to do. When they got into the land, they're supposed to do this. Now, little do people realize that Israel been taken out of the land Israel being chastened by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian captivity, coming back to the land. All these things has to deal with them not obeying what God told them to do. See, a lot of times we think that the things that happens to us is just a coincidence. Not necessarily. There are no accidents with God. Now, every seventh year was supposed to be a sabbatical year, a year of rest. Just like when he says, you work six days, rest on the seventh day. And they were supposed to let the land rest that year. For 490 years, the Jewish people did not keep the sabbatical years. 490 years, they didn't do it. 
So they owed the Lord 70 sabbatical years. In other words, God says time to collect. You didn't let the land rest like I told you. So he's going to take them out of the land for 70 years and let the land rest because they wouldn't do what God says do. God's collecting all at one time. Now, you may not say that that's in the Bible, but it is. He said, but in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the Lord, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. Israel did not keep the sabbatical seventh year of rest for the land. We have learned since then to have crop rotation, or if we would let the land rest for a year, how much better we would probably be better off. The nation of Israel was what we call backslidden. Now you'll find that word used in the Old Testament quite a bit. It means that they have backslid upon their commitment to God. They had made a vow. They promised God, we will, we will. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, whatever the Lord told us to do, we're going to do it. And then they didn't do it. No seventh year Sabbath. Seventy weeks of years. 490 years. So whenever we study the 70 weeks of Daniel, you'll understand where this comes from. Because there is proof that this is true. Turn in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles 36. And look at verse 14. They did not obey the Lord. And verse 14 says, Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abomination of the heathen. In other words, God's people living like the heathen. We want God to bless America, but America is living like the heathen. But anyway, so as not to get sidetracked, we'll stick with the scripture today. And polluted the house of the Lord. That's the temple which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. So the people did not do what God told them to do. Now, instead of reading all of these verses all the way down, I do want you to look down in verse 21. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. A score is twenty years. Threescore, sixty years. Ten years, 70 years. God is going to keep His promise to them. Even though they rebelled against the Lord, God had promised. Moreover, all the chief of the priests, the people transgressed very much. After all the abomination of the heathen, and polluted the temple of God, the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed. And the Lord God of their father sent to them by His messengers, rising up betimes and sending, now get this, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. So God was patient. God gave them room. And we see the principles laid down in the New Testament. The Bible says the Old Testament was written for our admonition, for us to learn from. And so we learn these things by watching how did God deal with his people. And when they obeyed, how he blessed. And when he, they disobeyed, how he chastened. It doesn't mean that God is a bloodthirsty God. God had promised His people certain things, and He wanted to bless them, but their rebellion cost them. And they mocked the messengers of God and despised His words, misused His prophets, 
until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people. And that part in your Bible, you ought to understand, there was no remedy. In other words, there comes a time when God says, enough is enough. That's it. And God will be good and gracious to us. But there comes a time when God says, okay, time for you to come on home. Or God's going to lower the boom and he's going to chasten. Remember, God doesn't bless disobedience. But there's principles in the Old Testament that God gives to us. And these verses that we're reading are in the Old Testament, and they mean what they say. And the Bible says they were written for our learning. So we're supposed to read it, study it, and believe it. Now, therefore he brought upon them, the Lord did it, the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary. So God says, I'm bringing somebody in, and they're going to whoop the tar out of you. And had no compassion. Remember, he had compassion. But because there was no remedy, they wouldn't listen to God. We have here in America, if people are not going to listen to what God says, do what God wants us to do, then God is going to chasten this country. And God can raise up heathen nations to destroy our country. You say, he wouldn't do that. Then you don't know your Bible. You need to know the Bible. Because there's lessons for us to learn, and it's so very important. Jewish life revolved around Solomon's temple for 400 years. Solomon's temple was a big temple, beautiful temple. Everybody talked about the glory of Solomon's temple. Well, there came a time when God had to destroy that beautiful temple that had been built. So God did. He destroyed it. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, he brought those to Babylon. And that caused another problem over there with the king Belshazzar, who was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. So we have, in the book of Second Chronicles, an outline, like keeping the books of kind of the history of what's going on. And they burnt the house of God, break down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. Now, this is what happened when Nebuchadnezzar came in. And this happened at the end of the time that God says, I'm fixing to collect 70 years from you. So he brought them in and destroyed the nation of Israel and destroyed the, the walls and the city, the temple, and they took the treasures and took them to Babylon. All that didn't have to happen. That happened because of the people of God who will not obey God. Now, there's a lot of things that will happen in our life that doesn't have to happen, but they happen because of our rebellion to God, our disobedience to God, because we don't take God seriously. God takes it seriously. And then that had escaped from the sword, carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Now, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah had wrote and told about what was going to take place and why it was going to take place. And then years later, about 69 years later, well, lo and behold, Daniel decides to read the book of Jeremiah. And he read what was written. And he knew, hey, we got about another year to go, and we're supposed to be able to go back to Jerusalem. But he says, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, for as long as she lay desolate, she had kept the Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. Seventy. Now, I want you to look up here just for a second. They did not obey God and let the land rest. So for 490 years, so God caused them 
to have Babylonian captivity. Seventy years of rest for the land. That's when they were in captivity. But that's not all of it. Then God says there's going to be the 70 weeks of Daniel. Another 490 years. These 490 years are very important time periods because they're telling us what's going to happen in the future from the time that they were given. Prophecy is not just from our time forward, but it was from their time forward when they were told by God, this is what's going to happen. Now, this is where we are now. This 70 weeks of Daniel. But it goes from a point to a point. And God says, this is what's going to take place. Now, we'll cover some more of this here in just a moment. But to understand the next 490 years is going to be the 70 weeks of Daniel. But I want to show you how we know these things are going to take place and why we come up with 490 years from 70 weeks of Daniel. It had already done it once, now it's going to happen again. And Daniel was one of the young men who also was taken into captivity. We believe he was of royalty, and also Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego also were there, young men, used by the Lord. Now get this. After 69 years of their captivity, Daniel was reading the writing of Jeremiah the prophet. So that means that what Jeremiah said was wrote before Daniel. And Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah that we read. And he saw what the prophet wrote, and he wrote this. Now, we won't turn there right now for the sake of time. But this is in your Bible in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. This is when Daniel understood what was written in Jeremiah, and then he begins to pray to the Lord in confessing the sins of the nation of Israel. And he confesses their sins as though he was guilty of all of it. And yet Daniel had done no wrong. Daniel was just suffering the consequences. Can God's people suffer the consequences of rebellious people? Yes. Can America and believers in America suffer consequences because there's so many of God's people that will not take a stand? Did you know there's enough believers, we estimate, based upon what they consider to be a Christian, in this nation to run this country as a righteous nation? We can have a righteous nation if we want to. You think of all the problems that we're having, and they're talking about how they're going to solve all of these problems in Washington. They created the problems. All those elected officials up there, they are the problem. But anyway, we won't get sidetracked. <laughs> now, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, because it was the Medes and the Persians, remember, and uh, Darius of the, the Persians, he says, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. So he said, I read the book of Jeremiah. And he came to understand that it's supposed to be 70 years. Well, he knew that the time is about up. So he's talking to the Lord for some revelation. He wants to know something. And that's why Daniel chapter 9 is a very important chapter in the study of prophecy. That he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So because the land had not rested those 490 years, one year out of every seven. 
and God's people wouldn't do it. This is how Daniel knew of God's promise to Jeremiah. And this is what we read. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word unto you, or toward you, in causing you to return to this place. So later on, yes, lo and behold, here comes Ezra and Nehemiah. They're coming back with all these people, and they got busy doing the things that God wanted them to do, and building the walls and building the temple. And so God had them back in the land. They built another temple, but it wasn't like the first one. And the old men sat down and they wept because it had not the glory of the one that God had before that, which was Solomon's temple. But Ezekiel comes along and writes and tells them about a glorious temple. says, Solomon's temple won't be like this new temple that's going to be built. There's another one going to be built. But anyway, in Jeremiah 25, 11, says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Do you think these are just a coincidence? This was told before it happened. Israel, yes, they came back to their land. And they established themselves once again. Rebuilt their temple. And that's the temple that was standing when Jesus Christ came, but Herod came along and had built it better and bigger, and it was called Herod's temple. So, when Christ came... He came right on time, right on schedule. And this is what makes the 70 weeks of Daniel so important. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished, I will punish the king of Babylon. See, God can take a nation that's worse and meaner and uglier and wicked than what you are and use them to whoop you with a rod. And then God will take and whoop them for doing that. So they, nobody gets away with anything with God. God raises up and God puts down. God blesses and God chastens. God did not take a vacation. He knows what's going on and he is busy in the affairs of man. In verse 24, it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. And that's Israel. And upon thy holy city. That's Jerusalem. So we know the 70 weeks are about Israel and about Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, we'll explain that a little bit more in just a minute. And to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's what happens at the end of the total 70 weeks. The end of the 70th week is the end of the tribulation period, which lies right ahead of us. And so many people not understanding the truth about the 70th week, you're going to find out today. So it goes up until the king is anointed and begins the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign upon the earth. Remember, one day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And so when you had six days, rest on the seventh. So the first two days, 2,000 years up to the flood. Two more days, up to Christ, another 2,000 years. 2,000 years since Christ, and the day of rest is right ahead of us. Everything's right on schedule. It's not a joke. It's the truth. If anybody wants to know if the Bible is true, they can know it if they really want to know the truth. The Bible is truly the Word of God. Using Scripture to interpret Scripture. Genesis 29, 17 says this. Now, this goes all the way back to Jacob. Jacob 
and his problem with his father-in-law. You see, he had a, a daughter. Her name was Rachel. He wanted to marry her. And he was willing to work seven years for that woman. Well, he worked seven years. And then he got the wrong woman. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Jacob loved Rachel, and he says, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Now, if that ain't love, you don't know love. Would you work for somebody for seven years? And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had for her. Don't that just get you a little ticker up there? I mean, for somebody to love you that much. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. But it must have been one dark night. <laughs> she must not have said a word all night long. That in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? You tricked me. And Laban says, it must not be so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her weak, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven more years. This is one of the ways, you know, the weak is seven years. And it can be used in prophecy, and it also does this in the book of Leviticus. I'll show you in just a second. But serve for seven years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, which was seven more years. Now, in Leviticus chapter 25, it says in verse 8, And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years. And the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. So seven, seven is forty-nine years. So it's easy to figure out. So when we study the 70th week of Daniel, we know where he's coming from. And God gives a time period from a certain starting point until the Messiah would be cut off. So that anybody who read and studied the scriptures, they would be able to know the exact time when Jesus was coming and the exact time when he'd go into Jerusalem riding upon a colt and when he was going to be crucified. It's all laid out in the Old Testament. Now, in Nehemiah 2, verse 1 through 10 says, Nehemiah goes before Artaxerxes, the king, and asks for permission to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Because, see, this is what Daniel understood. All right, time's up. Now they get to go back. And the king lets them go and sends a whole bunch of stuff with them. And this is where you read in the book of Nehemiah and the book of uh, Ezra about what they were doing and building the wall and the temple and so on. God now gives Israel 490 more years after the Babylonian captivity. You see, things are broken down in periods of time. That's why you study the Bible, it says, and in the process of time, in the process of time, time has been processed. But see, life is made up of time. So when you waste time, you waste life. So God is the one who has designed this whole world and broke things down into periods of time. And some of these periods of time we call them dispensations, which we'll be getting into later. Here are two 490-year periods. Now, we know the first one. We've already looked at that. And there are 69 weeks of years. And that was from the very beginning. You'll find out the restoration to go back and to rebuild the wall and the temple was seven weeks. 
So that's why he says in the Daniel, until the Messiah shall be seven weeks. Then it says, and unto the prince, the Messiah, will be 62 weeks. 62 and 7, 69. So until the Messiah is 69 weeks. Or a total of 483 years. So that's until the Messiah is cut off in Daniel chapter 9. That leaves one more week after Christ is crucified and come back from the dead. There's a reason why everything is right on schedule. It's not just nobody knows what's going on and God just doesn't, he hadn't planned anything yet. And so we don't know what's going on. Yeah, we do. It's laid out in scripture. So we have 434 silent years total up there. We got one week left. Because this is where from there to go back and to rebuild the city, the wall from coming back from Babylon until the Messiah, which will happen here, when he sets up his kingdom, supposed to be 70 weeks. This is to finish the transgression. So the seven years is the tribulation period. Now, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. Seven weeks. That's to build the temple. Remember in John chapter 2, when it says, Jesus made the statement to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. And they said, 46 years was the building of this temple, and you're going to do it in three days? Now, what temple do you think he was talking about? His body. And he kept his word. Just like he said. But the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. So after the temple, 62 more weeks or 434 years, total together 483 years. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous time. So this is going to take place. It's going to happen right on schedule, just like God says it would. Now look up here once more. You have until the Messiah, the prince shall be cut off. That's in Daniel, when he's talking about the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks minus this one week. Now, when you read verse 27 in the book of Daniel chapter 9, coincides with Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, where it says, And in the midst of the week, the midst of the week, when ye shall see therefore the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. So we know that that's going to be. But see, this is what convinced me the Bible can be trusted. It tells all of this, and we haven't even got to the New Testament. This is all Old Testament stuff. But it's not just a, a dark book back there that doesn't belong to us. No, there's things that God has told us, and this is what builds your faith, is believing what God has promised. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. This is not his birth, but the cross. He wasn't cut off at his birth. He was cut off when he was crucified on the cross. But not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the Bible prophesied right here that after the Messiah is cut off, when he's crucified, they're going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Was the temple and Jerusalem destroyed after Jesus Christ? The temple is not standing, is it? Here we are 2,000 years later. The temple has been destroyed. So if that has been fulfilled, this verse proves it. And it was written 
hundreds of years before Christ ever came. And he says, when the Messiah comes, he'll be cut off, and then the temple will be destroyed. I led five Jewish boys to the Lord one time at the University of Miami when I was a student at Florida Bible College. Because I explained this to them, and all five of them, they were sitting there looking at this, and one of them, the guy, he slapped the table, he says, you're talking about Jesus Christ. I said, yes, I am. And all five of them accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah. I used nothing but the Old Testament. It blew their mind. They didn't know that all this was in there. And the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end the wars of desolations are determined. No peace is promised before Christ returns. The world is not going to produce any peace. Hillary ain't going to do it, and Trump ain't going to do it. There is not going to be peace until Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes to this earth. Now, Daniel told them when their time of visitation would be. Now, you get this, because they use a 360-day calendar. And after all of those years, how many days? And then you convert it into hours, and you'll come up when Jesus Christ came into the city. Because there was prophecies in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, talks about when he comes back. And he's going to go into the city, and he's going to be riding on a donkey. And it happened right on schedule. Very day. Crucified. The very time he was supposed to be crucified. Just a coincidence, ain't it? I don't think so. I think there must be a God in heaven that knew the future. And he says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 48, because you're hard-headed and stiff-necked, I'll tell you what's going to happen before it takes place. And it's taken place just like God says it would. Do you know why Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D.? I knew you wanted to know. Isn't it amazing it went for 490 years, 70 years in captivity. 490 years, another one, and then 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. Those just coincidence, Right? Or is God systematic? Do you think he knows what's going to happen next and when it's going to happen? I think so. And I've got a good clue. But I'm not telling you. <laughs> but one of these days, I'm going to be speaking on Sunday morning, and it's just liable to leak out. And you don't want to miss it. You want to make sure you're here. You say, when are you going to do it? I'm not telling you. Now get this. This is in the book of Luke. Because when Jesus came in the looked over the city of Jerusalem. It's also mentioned in the book of Matthew in chapter 23, where he says, and when he was come near, he, Jesus, beheld the city, and he wept over it. Now, it's not mentioned in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 41 here, but it is in the book of Matthew, where he wept over the city. He says, how often I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chick, and you would not, you would not. It's not that they could not. You see, there's a lot of things that happened that didn't have to happen. A lot of sorrow Israel been out of the land for 2,000 years. It didn't have to happen. The captivity, it didn't have to happen. It's because they don't believe what God says is true. So many people that don't trust the Lord. You'd be surprised how many sleepless nights you'll have and worrying you'll do because you can't cast all your cares upon the Lord. But He cares for you. He says, sin, if thou hath known. This is Jesus when He was here. And he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He said, if thou hath known. Even thou. At least in this thy day. He said it like, well, you should have known. You should have known. At least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes, shows that they could have known. And the reason, he says, is because thou knewest not the day 
of thy visitation. In other words, God promised for hundreds of years, hey, I'm coming to the earth. I'm going to come and visit. You ever have people come and visit you? Wish they weren't. People come and visit. God said, I'm coming to visit. And so he came. And he visited, and then he's upset, and he's weeping because they knew not the time of his visitation. He said, you should have known. I told you when I was coming. Now, there's a lot of things. He says, for the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around, and cast thee in on, keep thee in on every side. This is what happened. In 68 AD, Titus came in from Rome, laid siege against the city. Two years later, it fell. Just like he promised. But he said this to you before he was crucified. He told him what was going to happen. And it happens just like he says. And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. They said because it kind of like overlaid with gold, he saw all the stones were taken apart, and all, get all the gold, and they totally destroyed the temple. Not one stone left upon top of another. Now there's still the, what do we call the wailing wall, or the western wall. There's still a plateau upon the top of it, where there's some mosque up there. But now notice what the word here. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Israel be destroyed. The temple be destroyed. Because you didn't know I was coming. You weren't looking for me. And he brings this out in a strange way. So after that, yes, it was destroyed again. The temple destroyed. It didn't have to happen. But see, God knows what people are going to do in their rebellious attitude. See, God may know what you're going to do tomorrow. That doesn't mean he made you do it. We're free to choose, make decisions. Daniel told them to the very day when it would happen. And this is what he says. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. All these things we read just a minute ago. Now, the points to consider is this. One week, seven years. Seven weeks, 49 years. Seventy weeks, 490 years. See that? To whom is it written? Why was it written? When does it start? And when does it end? All those are important things. Now, when he talks about the finish the transgression, complete the cleansing of Israel, because in Jeremiah it talks about Jacob's sorrows. It's the time when God is going to chasten Israel in the tribulation period. God poured out his wrath upon Israel. And the Bible says, all nations shall come against Jerusalem to battle. In other words, to destroy all the Jews from the face of this earth. The worst period of time in all the world for Israel lies right ahead of us. Now, he talks about making an end of sin. This is because Christ is going to make a payment for the sins of the world. He's got to cure the rebellion. This is going to be their time of sorrow. This is also mentioned in Leviticus in chapter 23. And it's talking about the trouble, the sorrow that uh, the Jewish people are going to go through. Now, he's covering the cross. Christ is going to come to the earth and he's going to make a payment for the iniquity of all the world. So when Christ came, this is what he's going to do. Remember, all of this is included within that 70 year period or that 70 weeks. All of this is going to happen at the end of the 69th week, and then the rest of it will be in the ending of the 70th week of Daniel. Because you see, this is when they will worship the Lord, and he seals up the vision because Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation chapter 19. And he is going to seal up the vision. In other words, it completes the vision 
of the 70 weeks of Daniel. It'll be completed. Then he sets up his kingdom upon the earth. But you set up the king because you're going to set up the kingdom. And when they rejected the king, the kingdom has been postponed into the future. The king was rejected. He was crucified. And Jesus, this is why he wept. It didn't have to be that way. But God always has a plan. So he says, this is what's going to happen. That took some time to do. 70 weeks, 49 years. One score, 20 years. 60 when it's three score. Two more weeks, 62 weeks. You have the whole thing broke down, but you'll notice that the 70 weeks is supposed to be right there. And then it would start the kingdom. But something went wrong. The king was rejected. The kingdom postponed. And in between here and this last week that's been shoved out into the future, there's a period of time called the church age, which we'll be covering in a couple of weeks. So we have this period of time. Seven weeks, 62 weeks, one week left. This is how we know that the tribulation period upon the earth is going to be for seven years. Because it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, in the midst of the week, or the midst of the seven years, is when the Antichrist sets up his kingdom and goes into the temple. That's why we know there's going to be a temple that's going to be rebuilt. All these things are mentioned. And when he had thus spoke, he went and ascended up to Jerusalem. Now, anytime you go to Jerusalem, you've got to go up because it sets up on a hill. And so when you can go north and still go down from Jerusalem because it's up on a hill. Now, it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethage and Bethany uh, at the mount called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go ye into the village over against you. He says, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied. This is what he told his disciples now. I want you to go get this colt, this little donkey. He says, and no man's ever sat on it before, but you're supposed to go get him. And he told him what to say when somebody says, what are you doing? And if any man asked you, why do you lose him? Then shall you say unto him, the Lord hath need of him. He's the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. He is God. And they that were sent went away, found him, even as they said. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto him, Why loose ye the colt? They said, The Lord hath need of him. They said what Jesus told them to say. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Here in Zechariah chapter 9, almost 500 years before Jesus was going to get on that colt and ride into the city of Jerusalem, and the people were going to shout, Praise God to the highest, and Hosanna, and they were throwing the palm leaves into the way and shouting and singing and all that, rejoicing, the king cometh. 500 years before that, mentioned in Zechariah. Now we know from the other scriptures when it's supposed to take place. And so he says, Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the fold of an ass, almost 500 years before it ever happened. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. Now why is he doing it? Because he's riding into Jerusalem on a colt, and they're proclaiming, The king cometh. The king is here. He's alive. And what did they do to the king? 
they crucified him. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice. Praise God with a loud voice, with all their might and so forth, and all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That He came on the very day he was supposed to. You go back and you can check, and why do you think we have Easter is generally Resurrection Sunday in April? Sometimes because of the calendar, it gets moved into the last part of March or something like that. But that's time to you. Do you think that's just a coincidence? No. It was laid out that way. And upon that certain day, that certain week, Jesus came and fulfilled, just like he was supposed to. Now get this. All that's pretty much the same. But the Messiah came in on the right time, just like you're supposed to, told in advance, so that you and I could know the truth. He said, because you're hard-headed and stiff-necked, I'll tell you what's going to happen before it happens, so that you and I can know that we have a Bible that we can trust. Now, think about this. This is so important. Notice these three things. If Jesus came into Jerusalem on the very day and was crucified right on schedule, as it was prophesied, he would be cut off, gave the year, so many years, he has to die at the same place. And then the temple to be destroyed, just like Jesus said. Don't you believe the Bible must be true? How many of you believe the Bible is true? Let me see here. I don't see how anybody can question or doubt it. No man could have ever put this together. This is truly what God's Word has to say. And so it's for you and me to either believe it or not believe it. Personally, I've made up my mind years ago. I believe the Bible. If all of this is true, and there's a lot more, then my faith in what God says, I feel safe in trusting Him. I know that one day, if God should tarry, I might die. But I also know this. If I believe on Christ, I have eternal life. I know I have eternal life. I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. How do you know? The Bible says so. And I believe the Bible. Now, look up here. Let me show you this. Something you've never seen before. But this is important because I don't want people to ever be separated from God in a literal fire burning hell. I want everyone to trust the Lord. I want them to know they can have eternal life and go to heaven when they die. So, but I can't prove God to anybody. I can tell you this is what the Bible says. It's enough proof for me. It may not be for you. Maybe you want more evidence. That's up to you. But in the meantime, don't die. Don't die until you trust the Lord. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. Now, God says that he loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. And for us, we've all sinned. That's why we're all condemned. We're all in the same boat. Nobody's any better than anyone else. And God says he loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. He doesn't want us to pay for the sin. He wants us to have eternal life and to be with him for all eternity. 
But God allows us to make decisions. But you have to suffer the consequences of your bad decision. If you decide not to trust Christ as Savior, then you'll be separated from the Lord in hell for all eternity. Your decision. But if you want to go to heaven and have eternal life, you can have that too. God made it on a level where everybody can have it. It doesn't cost you any money. Aren't you glad it doesn't cost you any money? What if you didn't have any money? And if you did charge, where do you think you would charge for a place like that? And to think about this, aren't you glad you don't have to go to church to go to heaven? And you don't have to give money to go have to church. You don't have to change your life. But there's one thing that you have to do. One thing. And if you don't do this one thing, you don't get to go. Now this hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world. He came into the world. That's why he went over the city of Jerusalem. He said, I told you when I was coming. I told you it was me. I told you how I would come. And I would come into the city a certain way. I'd be riding a donkey, not a big white horse, a donkey. Prophesied. And I told you the very year I would come. And what day, what month. I told you all of that. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You're going to be destroyed. For 2,000 years they've been cast out of the land. But he says, you're going to come back. I'll bring you back. And they're back in the land, but they're back in unbelief. But that's another message. This hand represents Christ. Had no sin, didn't have to die. But the Bible says in advance, he would be cut off, but not for himself. For us. So he paid for the sin, came back from the dead, and he said, the only thing I want you to do, believe that I did that for you. You see, it's by grace. Grace means you don't earn it. Grace means you don't work for it. Grace means that it's free. So you and I can have eternal life and go to heaven, and it doesn't cost us anything. I don't have to stop anything, join anything. I, as a sinner can accept this payment Christ made for me, and he will put that payment to my account. And he said it this way, for God so loved the world, anybody, that he gave his only begotten son, that was for the world, that whosoever, believe it, whosoever would believe he did it for them, would not perish, that means you won't go to hell, but have everlasting life, means you get to go to heaven when you die. Now is that good news or what? That's how I know I'm going to heaven, because I know that I can't, impossible, I cannot go to hell. I can't go to hell today, I can't go into time in the future. Say, so well, you don't deserve that. <laughs> That's what's called grace. I don't have any sins to pay for. Christ died and paid for all of my sins. Not some of them, not most of them. All of them. And he paid for all of yours. And all you had to do is accept what he did for you. You can handle that. You can do that. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you trust Him right now as your only hope of going to heaven? I'm not going to have you forward. not going to embarrass you. I don't want you to sign anything or promise anything. I just want you to receive what Christ did for you. See, God's in heaven. He knows you. He sees you. He loves you. He paid for your sins. He says, will you believe that I did it for you? If you will trust Christ as your Savior this morning, 
I'd like to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you, but it lets me know that what I've said made sense to you. You say, preacher, that made sense to me. I want to know that I have eternal life, and I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I'd like for you to pray for me in closing. Would you slip you in it very quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're God's child. Your faith in God's Word ought to be secure. Don't let anything or anyone cause you to doubt the Word of God. Believe it. It is true. You can trust Him. You can trust Him with your soul. You can trust Him with your life. And one of these days, we're going to leave this old world and we'll be with the Lord. And our Father, we thank you so much for loving us so much that you gave us the free gift of eternal life by simply trusting you as our Savior. We ask your blessings upon each one to help them to digest some of these things and that you become more real, more precious to them. And that, Father, they'll have confidence in your word that it is true, that they'll love it and want to read and study it and make it a part of their lives. Thank you for each one here. And we just commit ourselves to you now. Thank you for this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.